Welcome to Coffee and Tea with SNL. Everything you love about your favorite coffee shop, all wrapped up in a podcast. I'm Lisa, and I'm passionate about tea, travel, good food, and great conversations, and anything that makes me grow. I'm Sabine, and I create spaces that people enjoy. I'm also a wife, mother of two, a coffee lover, and enjoy a great scented candle. We're two great friends committed to living our best lives and seeing others live theirs. Welcome to Coffee and Tea. So today's episode, everyone, we have with us Allison Park, one of my favorite humans that I've spent very little time with in person. We'll explain more about that later. But she is the founder of Brand Whiskey. And she will introduce herself properly much better than I just did. And we're going to talk about all things from her background in ballet to Bren and all of the things. But before we jump in, let us talk about what's in our respective cups. So should we have Allison go first, Sabine? Should we yes, because she's our guest. Top? So <laughs> definitely Allison first. <laughs> and you're also the first person we've ever had on who actually has her own beverage. So that just is like outside of tea. Yeah. I've always wanted to do a tea and Bren pairing or a tea and whiskey pairing. I always thought that. Anyhow, um, coincidentally, I have tea and some Bren in my mug because as we were talking, as we started, it it was cold. And as we started this recording, the humidity has since moved into everyone's apartments. Yes. (laughs) Indeed. So our show is called Coffee and tea with SNL. So I'm the tea girl. Sabine is the coffee girl. And so I'm the coffee drinker. So I'm, I'm totally feeling like I'm winning right now that you have tea in your cup. So thanks, Allison. That was the right answer. I'm glad I didn't have to like, you know, I didn't do any leading, but good job with the tea. I have to say, I do, I do start my morning with this espresso. So coffee. Yes. I actually like coffee too. We say this every time, like, but coffee doesn't love me quite as much. So I always have to do decaf, but mm-hmm tea I can I can hang with and I like tea I just love coffee yeah I get that um okay have you ever tried I think it's the oh gosh what's the name something in Harney brand Harney and Sons brand yes I like their teas they do this Paris tea I love the Paris tea I drink the decaf of it but I love the Paris tea (laughs) enough of it I love and it's it's very fitting in my mind that I like the Paris tea with Bren, my French whiskey, because there seems to be some French connection there. But to me, they go beautifully together. I love that. I didn't think of that. And I have Paris tea. So that's going to be the next thing I try. So thank you for that. Um, Sabine, do you want to go next or should I go? Uh, I'll go. I have I have Bren, of course. And my husband, who's kind of a mixologist in his own little <laughs> side hobby, more so in college, but I told him that I was drinking Brent today and he made me his own version of a whiskey sour. So I'm, I'm drinking that, like he made his own sour mix because yeah, I didn't have time to run to the store and buy some. So he made his own concoction and it's on the rocks. And I have to say it's delicious. Good stuff. Yeah, so I have two drinks as well. Allison, sorry, we didn't give you the two drink memo. This is the first time we're having two drinks. I'm drinking a hot toddy, your recipe. Uh, Instead of doing water, though, you'll appreciate this. I did um, French Earl Grey as my tea, keeping in the French theme. I like that. So I have the hot toddy, and then I just have bren, unadulterated 
awesomeness, which I'm sure you have lots of that near you. So no pressure. Oh, we had to represent with the original before we, you know, we did get up. Sure. I'm now going to also join you with. <laughs> and, and we have to say that for, for me personally, I'm typically not a whiskey drinker, but this, I mean, this whiskey is like no other that I've ever had, like from the fragrance to, I mean, I can go on, but I never thought that I would enjoy whiskey like I have. So, well, thank it's you. It's in its own, it's in its own category. Half of its own. Yeah. I like to say, you know, Bren has all of these incredible technical things and, and I can really nerd out with the whiskey lovers, but on the other side of that, for people who don't consider themselves whiskey drinkers or, or don't, don't have that kind of bank of knowledge to understand what the yeast strain may be doing in fermentation, which is great. Most people really shouldn't because to me, it's all about the enjoyment. It's all about the experience, right? And to me, Bren is like the hand extended, right? It is the welcoming whiskey it is saying everyone's welcome in whiskey. Everyone come on into the party. It's so smooth. It's so approachable. It will not put hair on your chest. Right. <laughs> well, cheers. Cheers. Yes, cheers. I feel like pouring it over some ice cream. I just have to say that. I love that way. Yeah. It's that's like an it, avocado, but with whiskey. Yeah, that's what it reminds. I just. I have not. I, you mentioned that right before we got on. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So before we jump all in the notes, because I think that's part of why you're thinking of an ice cream, probably, let's backtrack a little bit. So Allison, as you rightly noted before we started recording, again, people, sorry, we've had a whole bonding thing before we recorded. It's okay. We'll catch you up. Um, Allison, this interview for me, I am like so giddy about this interview. It has been a few years in the making. You are the very first person I ever asked to be on this podcast before there was a podcast. I don't know if you remember that. This was just a dream. And we met at the Pennsylvania Women's Conference. And I had just had the dream of having a podcast. And I was like, she's the kind of person I want on this podcast. And I asked you to be on the podcast. And I don't know if you remember the friend who was with me at the time even laughed at me because there was no podcast, right? So she was like, what podcast? And I was like, the one I'm working on. Thank you very much. So <laughs> the fact that you're here today is a full circle moment and you're just amazing. I can't wait for people to hear your story and to be inspired by you, but thank you for making this happen. And um, I can't wait to have people hear your story and to, to get to bond with you in this thing that is now realized the podcast I told you about a few years ago. Thank you. I, I am um, currently living at my family's beachside cottage. And when I live here, my dad lives here as well. My boyfriend comes down for the weekends. And I was just telling my father that uh, I was so excited for this interview because I remember that so clearly. Right. And I know that that excitement and that joy and the emotional and also the fear, right. Associated when you start a project, even when it's like starting it in your mind and you're pulling those pieces together. And then when you get it into fruition and then you've got wheels on the, you know, on this dream and now you're putting gas in it and to be years out is a really exciting place to be. So I just honor the two of you because it takes so much work it takes a lot of energy to edit and to find people and to get it up there and to keep carving out the time to make the content and to build your community. So I just respect you. I honor you. I'm flattered to be here. And this is just wonderful. 
Thank you. Thank you. So yes, um, people, here's the awesomeness. It's Allison. Allison, how would you introduce yourself? You're the founder and president of Bren Whiskey. Yeah. yeah. That is, that is a, the title that I have with Bren. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and you have many titles and many hats. So yeah. People, one of the many things she has done is she used to be a ballerina. And again, now she has her own whiskey, among other things. But let's jump in first and, and let's introduce them to you. How did you go from being a ballerina to being the owner of Bren Whiskey? I know that's a big question. So take us however you want to take us on that journey. Oh, yeah, I'm glad we all have a drink. Um, I hope if you're listening, you also have maybe a maybe a glass of Bren Whiskey, B-R-E-N-N-E. That would be awesome. Um, maybe something else. But um I was, I like to joke that I went from the bar to the bar, like the B-A-R-R-E, right? The ballet bar to the B-A-R. <laughs> so um, it, it, it really started with um, when I left ballet, I was given this extraordinary opportunity at Exhale Spa, which is a cool national spa chain around, um, I think they've now partnered with Hyatt, but they had offered to me a female CEO just my, the first like badass business lady I'd ever seen in real life. Right. And she just approached me and she was like, every time you're on the floor and it was like, like a $6 an hour part-time job. Right. It was like, I wasn't working there in any kind of serious capacity, but she was like, your sales don't double our sales don't double. They don't triple. They quadruple. Like, what the heck are you doing? And I started to talk and she was like, hold on. And then we started, like, we just had like some different conversations over the course of a few weeks. And at the end of it, she offered me um, a new, like that they would create a position, a new position. And, and I would be able to be the national sales trainer of exhale as they started to open up all these locations. And it was just this like extraordinary opportunity. I was, I was ready to leave ballet and ready to leave the arts in, in a professional capacity. Um, and what was so funny is with that, right. With accepting this salaried position with healthcare and a 401k and like all these things that as a dancer, we never had. Right. You hustled, you worked every other job. I was a party motivator at bar and bar mitzvahs. I was cleaning apartments in New York city. Like you name it. I did it as a, as a, as a job. So anyhow, so with this like nine to five Monday through Friday holidays off. And I was like, what? I work holidays. <laughs> um, but I got an invitation to go have a drink after work, a very normal thing. Right. But for me, it was a very abnormal invitation and it really took me by surprise. The first drink I had when I was out, because I said to my friend, well, what should I order? Was a Cosmopolitan, because it was the early 2000s. It was Sex in the City, right? SJP was all the rage. And a Cosmopolitan is um, a vodka cranberry, basically, kind of cocktail. And it comes in a martini glass. And I know this is a podcast and not a YouTube or a video thing, but I don't know how to talk if I don't have access to my hands. <laughs> That's we fine. Love it. Yes, I'm the same way. Put <laughs> me together on this. So, you know, my $20,000 salary job living in New York City with like $1,000 on my rent to pay every month, like I wasn't making that much money. And, and I just remember like having one dramatic and I'm sure very necessary hand gesture, but that darn cocktail went flying, right? And I was like, oh, I can't afford theirs or my dry cleaning. <laughs> This is not my drink, right? <laughs> nothing to do with taste, nothing to do with flavor. It was just all about the mechanics of it. And I was like, that's a bad glass for me. <laughs> I love that. 
Right? When I was talking to the bartender, I was like, what comes in this glass? And I was pointing to the rocks glass and we started talking about whiskey. And I was like, that sounds good. And I get one. And I just, I just loved it. Right? I loved the smell. I loved the taste. I was asking the bartender about the stories. Uh, my friend ordered me a Manhattan. So I had tried it in a cocktail. And then I just went down the rabbit hole. I just wanted to understand why it was so different from the Cosmo, right? And I really had no awareness of like cocktails versus spirit and I was just so new. And I just learned everything I could. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm taking, I'm, I'm going on this journey. I started to collect whiskeys. I started a Twitter account. At some point I had a blog temporarily, but I really just started to connect with people all around the world and all around the US. We were at the beginning of like this hockey curb stick growth in American craft distillation. And I was asking importers from all around the world if they knew of any single malt whiskeys that were made outside of Scotland that were focusing on using all local ingredients. It was just kind of like the way wines are made, right? If you go to a restaurant and you meet a sommelier, through smell and taste, they can predict what mountain region, let's say in France, that a grape was grown, right? Just by smelling and maybe sipping a wine, you could be like, oh, this grape must have been grown on the southern part of this mountain region in in Spain. Like, what? Right. I thought if we're making as humans, right, we as humans are making single malt whiskeys outside of Scotland, could we, should we be using local ingredients to effectively show this this terroir, the sense of place in the smell and taste? And um, I had no intention of having my own whiskey company. I just thought that should be available to consumers. And I thought I'm not finding it in the U.S. because it's just not being imported in. Right. Maybe I should import this style of whiskey in. And because I was connecting with all of these importers, they start going, hey, Allison, can you sell us American craft whiskeys? And I was like, you better believe I can. I had never worked in this industry before. I had no idea what I was saying yes to, but I was knew I was going to be able to figure this out. Right. So I started exporting American craft whiskey. Well, that long, there was a bunch of things, but I also, I was really getting very serious about finding this kind of whiskey. Um, Gave the idea away. Many people turned me down, like very long story of rejection. And I finally met my current distiller and we're in France and he's showing me these barley fields, these organic barley fields, his water source, his family's still that they use today to still make cognac and bren. Um, these barrels, like but the whole thing was all coming together. And I just remember saying to him, this is awesome. Do you want to be partners? Right? Like he hadn't started really making whiskey yet. Like, do you want to be partners on this? And he goes, no, Alison, I don't. You do, you do like, I'm sorry. I don't have that much money. What the heck did I fly all the way over to France to have this weird ass meeting with you? And you don't want to be partners. You want to be partners. Right. Hey. So I thought, okay, like I have gotten so much rejection by for, by sharing this idea with people, like maybe I shouldn't be so quote American about it. And I really like our American sensibility, right? I think it's, I think it's very effective in commercial settings and in business, but I thought I'm not in America, right? I'm not talking to an American. Let me try a different approach. And my approach, instead of saying, when I got a no, I used to tell people why I'd push back, right? I'd tell them why it was going to be so beneficial to them and their bottom line if they worked with me. And I just thought, let's try something new. And I went, okay, what do you want to do? Right? (laughs) Very simple question, but it fundamentally changed the course of my life because on one hand, all he wanted to do was just be the farmer and the distiller. 
And he did not want to be formal partners. Like he just wanted to do the farming and the distillation. And I could do everything. I could own everything. I could, I could create it all the way I wanted through like marketing and naming and, and production. I mean, just everything. But it also like changed how I approached people when I got the no. So anyhow, so, so we, we made up a contract and, um, and, he, and he says to me, you know, Alison, I'm okay to sign the contract, but uh, I just need some money. And I was like, oh my God, obviously. By the way, I have a college degree in jazz. So like I had, I've never been to business school. I had no idea what this was even going to entail. But again, I was just saying yes. And I was like, yeah, yeah, man. Like how much money do you need? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, 82,000 would be okay. And I was like, oh, 82,000. I'll be right back with that. Right. <laughs> Dollars, euros, pigs, like 82,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll start counting. <laughs> okay. And he was like, no, no, Alison, uh, $82,000, it's, it's okay. If, uh, if you have it, uh, it's okay. We go, we go forward and we sign. And I was like, was that a question? But okay. Right. And I had saved $86,000 in my savings account at that point in time. And that was my life savings, right? Wow. My parents, they don't have, I don't have a trust fund waiting for me at the end of this rainbow, but that was it. That was my whole life savings. And I thought, I'm worth it. <laughs> and I wired this guy 82 of my 86 and uh, Bren was born, right? We, we, we had, we had already at that point, I'd even had, had some whiskey in the barrel. So we, we had like four year old whiskey at the point that we signed that contract, waited another four years or so brought it up to eight years old. And then in 2012, I bottled it and and then and moved it forward and started delivering it via bicycle. And then now we're less than nine years, I think. Yeah, less than nine years selling on the market. And we're in, um, we just opened our 22nd country. So <laughs> thank God. <laughs> that is amazing. So, I mean, I've heard different iterations of this story and every time I hear it, I am still amazed. So back at you, all the honoring you did earlier, I honor you for being um, just innovative. Cause I have so many questions even about that. Like what, what was it even that made you curious about the idea of terroir with whiskey? Like, so even that I'm like, just the way your brain works. I'm like, that's amazing. The fact that you pushed through with all the nose and figured out a new way to, to move forward that changed your whole life is just incredible. So thank you for being who you are and for sharing that story with all of us. But yeah, what was it? What do you think it was that made you think about, well, with wine, we know what regions it's from. How, why are we not doing that with whiskey? And I need yeah. to find someone who does that. I think, you know, I, I was really, I, I felt insecure about being such a late bloomer to alcohol. I had just missed that whole college experimentation. You know, I'd, I'd go out with friends in the city and I say, well, how much do you drink? And they go, oh, you just drink till your limit. And I thought, well, how do you know your limit? Do, do I come with a manual that I haven't read yet? Like, what is my limit? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you just figure it out. I'm like, that sounds very unsafe. Dangerous. <laughs> very dangerous. I don't like that idea. So I thought, you know, let me take it from kind of an analytical approach. Let me take it from an intellectual aspect. Let me learn about what I'm consuming, what I'm putting into my body. Let me learn. So at least, even if I don't know my limits, at least if I go to a restaurant or go to a bar or really go on a date, I can at least sound like I know what I'm ordering. 
right? I don't need to know everything. I just want to know the things that I like. I want to understand those categories. And so in the early 2000s in New York City, right, we're coming off the 90s, which was a massive wine boom in the US. And we were starting that mixology trend. So it's kind of like cocktails and wine, but um, even still to this day, but less so. But then you walk into any wine store, right, liquor store, and there was always a rep standing there pouring wine, you could, you could always drink for free in New York. And I figured this out pretty darn quickly, right? You go into a liquor store on a Friday night, you got six different wines to try. Oh, I felt a little funny. I think I found my limit. Six <laughs> wine. Without spending a dollar. <laughs> and you go to Chelsea on a Thursday, they had all the gallery openings. Hell, you got a snack too, because they always had a cheese plate. And I thought, this is good living, right? <laughs> dollars for a dog for a dirty dog on the street I was a happy girl right I just I love those early days but but in the wine store <laughs> you couldn't just sit there and shoot the wine you had to be interested and ask questions and so I really started to learn about terroir from all of these wine tastings right they would get so excited to talk about their Sauvignon Blanc and then talk about the fermentation technique and the grapes and the soil and the altitude and the humidity levels that it all that like that was what I was drinking for free to expand my knowledge on wine. But when I would go out to a bar, I was ordering whiskey and the books that I was reading were very few whiskey books at the time, but I was reading them. So it was just this like kind of simultaneous study that I had put myself on. And that's, I was like, there's, I'm not seeing any link and there seems like there should be. And, you know, I, 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 I I think as humans, right, we often fear sounding stupid. So it never crossed my mind that terroir and whiskey did not exist. All I thought was that I just didn't know about it yet, that I was stupid. It was out there and I hadn't discovered it. Right. So that's why, like, I didn't go into this being like, I have a great idea that's never been done and I'm going to be a disruptor in whiskey. Like, hell no. Right. I was like, um, does this exist and where is it? Cause I, I need, I think I, I think it's out there and I just need to know about it. Cause I don't want to sound stupid tomorrow. <laughs> so I love that. And that again also speaks to just the benefit of just being curious and not being afraid to sound stupid. Cause in asking those questions, you now discovered this is something we're not really doing and I can do it. So actually on that note, can you explain to people like what makes Bren so unique? So Bren is the first of its kind, but it's the first of its kind. What, like, how would you describe that? Yeah, I think it's important to kind of divide that answer into two things, right? First of its kind technical and first of its kind experiential, right? So like it's the first whiskey of its kind to taste the way it does, right? It tastes like creme brulee and blueberry muffin. And bananas foster. <laughs> All the things as we take additional sips. Yes. <laughs> it's like a dessert in a cup, in mm-hmm. a glass. And without any additives, without any sweeteners, without, you know, fireball is that cinnamon whiskey and they add cinnamon to it and they add sugar and all those other things. There's no, this is just pure whiskey with this natural, exquisite, approachable taste. So there's the experiential side, right? If you fall in love with the taste of Bren, you can't find that in any other bottle of whiskey. If you like a certain, you know, couple of rye, you could try a bunch of rye and probably find those similar pro- flavor profiles. Same with bourbon, same with other single malts, same with grain whiskeys and blends and things like that. If you like the taste of Bren, you can't find that anywhere else. I think that's really cool. Um, from a technical aspect, 
my whole goal was to make a whiskey using 100% local ingredients, right? So to understand why that is significant is to kind of step back and understand whiskey as a whole, right? Um, the 101 on whiskey is I, I tell people it's kind of like wine, right? We, the, the challenge is we can go into a bar and someone can say, do you want a whiskey, a scotch or a bourbon, right? That's a regular kind of question we can hear. Well, that is an incorrect way of asking it. That is in the wine comparison, like saying to someone, do you want a wine, a Cabernet Sauvignon or a red? You'd laugh, right? I, would, like, I would definitely laugh. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, you haven't learned yet. Right. Wine is a category title. Whiskey is a category title, just like wine. It's not its own drink. It just means it's the category of whiskeys. You have to understand what kind of whiskey. So just like in wine, you have a type, right? Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Zinfandel, whatever, all the way down. And those are based on the types of, of grapes. In whiskey, we have about five, sometimes six. There's a couple more, but really five main styles. It's single malts, which is what I make, bourbons, rye. Um, grain whiskeys and blends. You also have corn and moonshine at the, but they're less popular, right? But uh, bourbon, single malt, rye, blends, grains, those are your main five. So those are all types of whiskey. So if you say have a single malt whiskey, that's a category, right? You have a rye whiskey, a blended whiskey. Um, and then just like in wine, you have your place. You can have a Cabernet Sauvignon from France, that's still a wine, or a uh, California Cabernet Sauvignon, right? Just so in whiskey, we would have a single malt from France, like I make a Japanese single malt whiskey, a Scottish single malt whiskey called scotch, right? And scotch just means any kind of whiskey that's made in Scotland. Scotland. It doesn't mean it's a single malt. It doesn't mean it's a blend. It doesn't mean it's a grain. It just means any whiskey that is made in Scotland. So you can't make a French scotch. I see right. Brent <laughs> as that. They're like, that, yeah. <laughs> like, how is that possible? Yeah, I'm not bringing whiskey from Scotland down to France and bottling right. it. That's not what's happening. <laughs> this is 100% French. So, so, th so th there's that, right? And then when you look at that single malt subcategory of whiskey, not bourbon, not rye, right? You look at single malts and single malts you can make anywhere in the world. And then you, you understand that the flavor of any, of any whiskey, um, but really whiskey's over like four years old, 60 to 70% of the flavor of that whiskey is going to come from the barrels in which that whiskey was aged, right? So that's why you're going to, if you ever go to a whiskey tasting, they're going to tell you about their barrels. Majority of the flavor comes from those barrels. That's a huge amount of the flavor. Like that, you said 60 to 70? 60 to 70. Yeah. Seven, seven, zero. Wow. So We'll talk about water. We'll talk about grain. We'll talk about distillation. We'll talk about yeast. But those factors combined make up 30 to 40% of the, of the end flavor. Um, so we'll talk mostly about barrels, especially when you're at a tasting and you don't have much time. You'll just hear the barrels, hear the tasting notes, and you move on, right? <laughs> so you don't get to tell this whole backstory. Um, However, then, so when you look at single malts and you appreciate that most of the flavor is going to come from the barrels, and then you look at most single malts made around the world, from Japan to Scotland to Ireland to Canada to America, a majority of those single malts, and we're talking like over 95%, are all aged in two of the same similar barrels. They're aged in barrels that previously aged bourbon, which is another type of whiskey, 
and barrels that previ- and or barrels that previously aged sherry, which is a fortified wine made in Spain. So bourbon and sherry barrels, you'll see it on bottles all the time, X bourbon or X sherry or, or combination, you know, double wood, double oaked or this, this, this plus that or whatever, but they'll all talk about their barrels. So when you think about like a majority of single malts made around the world are aged in X bourbon and or X sherry barrels. And most of the flavor is going to come from the barrels. Just by changing the barrels, I can give you a totally different flavor. Products, yeah. Right. So... <laughs> What was so funny is we were like working on this whiskey and we have local grain and local water and local yeast and a local still that's not even a typical whiskey still. And someone said to me, well, aren't you going to put it in a bourbon barrel? And I thought, have you lost your mind? What? Like, I'm not going to like drown my project here. So yeah, so we use the barrels from a forest that are right next to the cognac region. Cognac is confusing because it's a place in France as well as a spirit, right? Just like champagne can only come from champagne. champagne. Right, yes. Sparkling wine, cognacs can only come from cognac France, otherwise they're brandy. Right. Right. So if you look at cognac on a map, the forest that's closest to them that produces oak for barrels is called the Limousin Forest. It looks like limousine to an English speaker, right? And those happen to be the most expensive barrels in all of European oak. (laughs) European oak is significantly more expensive than American oak. In the top of European oak is French oak. In the top of French oak is Limousin barrels. But we are the first single malt in the world to age exclusively in Limousin oak. Some of those barrels are new, are virgin, right? Right. First time that they get to go in. And some of them have previously aged cognac, the spirit. Okay. So very long answer to say what we're doing that's different is that we're aging it in new French oak and exo cognac barrels. But hopefully that that context helps explain why that's so significant and why that's so magical. (laughs) Right. And, And I've heard you use that to explain even the price point as well, which then actually surprises me that you're the brand is not more expensive. Cause I'm like, I'm doing that math and I feel like brand should be like significantly more expensive. Not my clothes at Target. Yeah. (laughs) 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 So, but okay. One more question about the technical piece. So how did you even, so, you know, you talked about having this partnership, right? Where he said, I just want to grow it. You do everything else. Where does one even start? Cause if someone said that to me, I would still be like, Okay, great. But I, yeah, let me just sit here and maybe cry a bit before I figure out what's next. So, you know, and how do we even end up at the Limousin Oak? Like, how did you figure all of that out? There are so many tears in Bren, let me tell you, to this day, right? I mean, there are, it is not just blood and sweat. It is a lot of tears. Um, But that's real. Thanks for sharing that. But yeah, that's, that's real. It's real. I mean, like really, even yesterday, I think I was like on the verge of tears yesterday. It's not like all of a sudden you get to the promised land and you're like, this is great. It's just a hard battle when it's when it's yours and you've got your ego in it. You've got your identity wrapped up into it. You've got your money into it. You've got responsibility. You hopefully have other people's lives wrapped up in, into it because they rely on it for their to feed their families. You know, it's like it's real. It's 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 a real thing. Um, but my distiller 
he did step in and do a lot more than just grow the barley. <laughs> he runs the he advises. We work together on the yeast. We work together. It's, it's my recipes on the barrels, but he does the manual labor part. So I could be there. His home is attached to it. So it's much easier for him to walk through his house to the rick to the to the barrel room versus me getting on a plane, a train, and an automobile to get to France. <laughs> to get to his house, walk through to the <laughs> So I, I love that you have almost like a clear vision and intention with every piece of the business, you know, down to the ingredients, to wanting everything to be local to, I mean, the packaging. And I I love, I love the pack, the packaging alone, I feel like is an experience. (laughs) Um, And you have, it's almost like you you have a clear vision of what you want Brent to be. And so my, as a business owner myself, I have a question about partnerships Mm. because your story, I mean, from day one, you know, from, you know, going to France and partnering, deciding which, you know, which distillery to partner with, you know, and I'm pretty sure there has been a lot of partnerships that have ended and new ones have formed and even coming back to the States and writing your cycle to deliver (laughs) to the liquors, to the retailers that, you know, is partnership and deciding which restaurants and bars to partner with. And so with all of that, how do you decide which partnerships are right? Which ones are temporary? Can you talk more on that? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I have to keep reminding myself, and I think it's important for all of us to remember, you know, we, we try and make the best decision based on all of the information we have today, right? And it, you've got to allow yourself space because down the road, when things fall apart, you can't get mad at yourself for having chosen the wrong partnership, right? You didn't know than what you know today. So I just try and make every decision based on the best intel I have today. I definitely ask people, have they worked with others before? And I, I, I have a real, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual and I meditate and I really deeply, deeply trust my gut. Um, I listen to that inner voice And I will choose a lawyer because of what my gut says. I will choose almost everything. If I don't, that's when I've really walked into the hot sand, you know, the quicksand very quickly. If I trust my gut and I'm very transparent in business, I tell everyone I don't play games. I will always be transparent and I respect everyone's time. So I found my time gets very respected as well when I don't waste anyone else's minutes. So it's helped me have really authentic relationships with people. And I think they've allowed me the space to grow and I allowed them the space to grow. So I don't know. I I think it's almost, I almost choose business even more fully thoughtful, right? Then I choose like friends, which is a crazy thing to say, but I, I, you know, I try and look at every every dimension of it and go in with like this very like transparent, um, respectful approach. And I don't make anyone wrong, right? If you give me a no, you're not wrong for giving me a no. Yeah, It's just no now. Wow. That's key. Even, even the question that you asked with the distiller, I mean, he told you, no, he had no interest. And your question was, and I love that. I feel like that's something, you know, that I need to learn. You turned around and asked him, well, what do you want? 
you know? Um, and I think that's key. We need to do more of that, you know? Because I think that's how everybody's needs are met, right? It, we, I've got this great man who runs our marketing right now. And, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I had such like blinders on with Bren after years and years and years. And we got into some, when we first started working together, we got into these meetings and he would go, hold on, Allison, hold on. And we'd be on a call with someone else, you know, like another company or something. He's like, hey, like before we jump into kind of like sharing with you our agenda and kind of like what our goals are, like, we'd love to hear what you're working on. What are your goals? What are your, like, what are the things that you need to meet by the end of the quarter or the end of the year? And, and it was like, so it was like such a jerk. Cause I thought like, like, like a physical, like body jerk, not like a, you're a jerk, but like a yeah, body yeah. I was like, oh my God, I used to do that. <laughs> That's a really great approach. And like the world just keeps opening up, right? With every partnership, whether it's an art gallery or another brand or someone else, like trying to hear their goals, their goals. Um, and even like the individual's goal within the organization, right? Like what are the metrics that are helping you keep your job is basically the question. You wouldn't ask to get that blank, but like, what do you need to accomplish by the end of the quarter is very different than what is Perrier's goal, right? What, it, what do you need to accomplish by the end of the quarter? And are you the department that we could really find something to work with? Because then we could take our messaging and deliver it in a way that shows them that we can help them accomplish their goal. Now you really want to work with us. There's something so powerful about that too, is that when the people we're working with win, we win, right? So if I don't know what yes. winning looks like for you, and that's the way to make this work is to let everybody get what they want out of this literally just had an epiphany. There's a colleague that I'm having a challenging relationship with. And I'm like, I actually just don't know her goals. So I'm going to try that after this call. (laughs) I think that's so important because when you know what they want, we can all win. And it's really possible for that to happen. It's, it's totally helped me. I mean, even within our own organization, if, if I've kind of like, if, if we've got friction, me and someone else, I'm like, well, what conversations or what questions are being asked of you? Right. Because sometimes if you're asking me a particular question, you can sometimes get a sense if they're not really asking because they're genuinely curious, they're asking because they need a specific answer. Yeah. What the heck is being asked of you right now that you're trying to get an answer from me? And I'll see if I can give you the answer. Still authentic, still genuine, but let's just skip the dance. Right. And give you what you need. Yeah. yeah. Let me know what you need. And I'll tell you if I don't have that for you. <laughs> maybe I could have a solution that could help you. So. So I'm thinking about the past year we've all had, right? And the lockdowns, you work, you have a whiskey brand, (laughs) which we use those at weddings and restaurants, all the things that weren't really happening over the past year, yet your business thrived. How did you approach that? You've already spoken to some things, like your mindset is evident in everything that you do, but how did you tackle this year that none of us saw coming and how did you manage to stay thriving? Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, every, everyone, because, because it wasn't, I, I, I keep looking for distinctions in my life. Like I keep feeling like I'm trying to, I don't want to eat pizza. I want to understand where the dough is, the cheese, the sauce, the topping, right? Because it, then I can, I can speak to those levels, right? So if I'm just trying to speak to pizza, it's hard, right? And what I mean by that is like, I'm trying to, I'll try and speak to if there's friction, is it because them or me or someone is emotional because it is a, a very emotional time, right? There's the logistic part of what's really occurring with business. And then there's a fear and there is uncertainty and there is my kids are home and I'm now having to homeschool. And I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow because most of the many parts of our industry were furloughed or fired very quickly, right? There's like all of this 
stuff that was packed into those first few months that we all remember. And I think as a manager and as a director and as a leader, it was really vital to get it clear on myself, like where were my fears, where were my anxieties, where were my buckets of uncertainty, get clear on that. It's okay to have that. I can carry that for months. I can carry on for uncertainty and fear. You can still operate in life, right? While, while acknowledging that for yourself. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring that in, right? So I want to make those distinctions. Where are they for myself? And then help my team with that as well. So if we start a meeting and we're going to talk about the 90% drop in numbers, you know, can we also say at the on front, your job is secure? Mm-hmm. Right? This is not going to be about we're going to do everything we can. We're rejiggering our health insurance plan to make sure we have the money to pay for all of you to be here. We're not going to lose anyone. Our numbers all flatlined, but we're not going to fire anyone. Right. So how do you, I think, I think that was a big part of it. It was keeping, you know, we could talk about like, Oh, we did this and we did that event, but I really think what helped us thrive was ensuring the, as best as we could, the mental health of our team, letting them all know, right? Because, because in, in, in liquor, especially, you rarely have people that go to an office, sales, marketing, everything is virtual anyhow, because our business has to be in the world to affect the world. So people live all over the country, all over the world for our, for our team, um, except for the distillery team. That's, that's, they live on site. But um, so how do, you, how do you show up for people and say, you're secure, right? And you're going to be okay. And and keep them mentally um, at peace and not have to live into the, oh my God, am I going to lose my, I don't want to take a call from my boss because maybe they're going to tell me I'm furloughed or fired, right? So how do you ensure that first? And then also give everyone the space to, and, and I don't have children, but like, well, have children, right? You all have to now, where you're used to working nine to seven or whatever the hours were that you're used to working, I get that you now have to teach your kids um, this new version of math. Right? <laughs> so do that. Just be really clear with everyone's bosses, with your direct report. I will have that to you by blank and give an authentic response, right? So just manage everyone's expect- expectations. So if you need to log in at work between 9 and p.m. and 11 p.m., that's cool, you know? You can work at it whatever time, just as long as you're getting done what needs to be done and you're very clear with everyone's expectations. So I think our company culture, being able to deliver that, and I'm talking about like Samson and Surrey, our parent company as a whole, was a really remarkable thing to experience and to be a part of and to help co-create and develop. Um, And I think that helped us on the flip side of that year, get these just like extraordinary numbers that none of us expected. Oh my goodness. I feel like if every business leader um, led like that, that would be key because I, at the end of the day, business is about people. Yep. You know? And the first set of people are the people who work for the company, right? Not so, so often we're concerned about the customer and we're not even starting with the internal people that we're closest to. I got nothing if I don't have my team. Now, I want to get into business and the arts because I'm an interior designer. I went to art school and I heard you talk about um, art school and how there wasn't enough training about business, about numbers, you know, 
And I think I clapped my hand (laughs) because I couldn't agree more. I think for me, throughout my years in interior design school, I think we had one business course, like one or two. At least you had that actually. So so I guess we all had art degrees. I was a film major undergrad. We definitely didn't talk about money, but somehow we're all supposed to be these like amazing filmmakers. Right. (laughs) Make all this money. (laughs) And we had no clue how to actually make that work. Yeah. And, and, it's they trained you how to work for someone else, which is great because not entrepreneurship isn't for everyone. But I for me, I know I struggled when I decided to go into business for myself. It was like starting from the bottom. Nobody, nobody, you know, taught me this and asking the right questions and asking key people um, that obviously helps. But I think for you, how did you make that shift from, you know, becoming a professional Um, ballerina and then all of a sudden entering and you were really good at sales because that's how you know (laughs) that's how that CEO found you too you know and that's something that you don't even hear because I feel like it's almost like two sides of our brains the creative side and you know the logistics side Um, so for you how are you able to make that shift of like okay I'm in the performance world and then now entering the business world yeah, I think, I mean, this, this is something that even as I'm like listening to you and I'm like, man, I really am passionate about this. Maybe that's like when I'm in my fifties, I'll start like a business school for artists or something. <laughs> like, I, I think, I think it's so crucial and it, it baffles me that universities will take such extraordinary sums of money from people, especially artists and not give them the tools to operate in the world. Like it is important to know how to color match. It is important to know how to kick my leg properly, but guess I've been working on that since I was five, right? I don't know if my innate skill in contract negotiation, if there's not more to learn there. Right. Um, So to me, I thought that, you know, and, and, and again, right. I think it goes back to that kind of human nature of being fearful of looking stupid, right? So one of the things that I I could make that distinction that like, okay, I've actually done contract negotiation because I did that for myself as an artist, right? And negotiated my own contracts every time I worked with a new show or a new production house or whatever, a theater. Um, I new sales, because if you if you can sell yourself, you can sell anything, right? If I because that that is everything on the line right there, right? So if I could sell myself, I could definitely sell your eye cream, no problem. <laughs> um, and um, and then finances, right? You have to know how to manage your finances. And I I thought it was a curse at the time, but I think it's a real. I think it's it's actually been one of my best gifts. Is that I saw a lot of dancers um, that had very that had parents that could pay for a lot more than my parents could afford to pay. And I had, I, I got really a kind of a perfect gift that I didn't have to carry debt from college. My parents were able to pay for my full college and yet I had to pay for a lot of other things, right? I never, my rent was never taken care of by my parents, my electrical bill, like all that stuff. So I had to figure out how to sink or swim really fast. And I think just managing the finances of my life at such an early age allowed me to have no problem understanding a cash flow basis of a business. 
what was foreign to me was a was debt. I didn't I never had any debt. So when it came to business, like it terrified me to take out a loan. I didn't understand like how do you pay that back? <laughs> you know, how do you how do you take on what do I owe you? Because that that seems very but like but the cash flow part for me was was really clear. Like I could say no to that because I knew I wasn't gonna earn that revenue that month. So I can't afford to do that partnership thing or whatever. Um but when I when I transitioned at that that Exhale Spa experience, she and Beth Eschbach, the CEO of, of Exhale at the time, and then Julia Sutton, who was the COO, and it was it was very cool, like night and day personality. And Beth is like the bull, right? Like just like solid business chops. And Julia is that and the heart, right? She had these really beautiful eyes and this like soft smile and this amazing laugh. And I used to say to her, like, how did you hire me? And she was like, oh, I just look in people's eyes. And I was like, oh, (laughs) right. Meanwhile, checking people's resumes and stuff. But, but you know, the the two of them kind of sat me down and they're like, we're going to give you this opportunity. It's an extraordinary title for someone who has absolutely no experience. You never went to school for this. You have you have no clue what you're saying yes to, basically. And they said, so your salary is not going to be if you run a salary test. And, you know, again, like total respect. I just I didn't realize how rare it was to, like, find a female executive team. Like, I just found myself at this moment in life and that they sat me out and said this to me, if you do a, if you talk to a headhunter, if you do a salary search, you're going to find that like with this title, you're not going to make that salary, right? They're going to give me like $22,000 a year or something with that like national sales trainers title. And they said, but we're going to give you the opportunity to grow into this role. So I said to Ann Beth, I get that. I accept but before I start, I want two weeks to shadow you. And I want to go into every single meeting that you go into that I'm allowed. I know investor meetings, I'm probably not allowed to go into those. But every other meeting you have, I want to be in that room. And additionally, I'm going to use it as school. And I'd like to, if like, are we cool if when I go into these meetings, if I say ballet, not business, every time there's a term or a concept that I don't understand? Let me tell you, this woman, we would have like so many people in a finance meeting and she would go, Allison, ballet, not business, any questions? And I was like, um, yes, thank you. Shrinkage. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was just, it was just an amazing, amazing time. And so I got to learn and, and, and in learning, you know, you, you build your confidence. Um, so I really felt confident at some point to be like, I can handle this. Like, it's just common sense. It's common sense with us, with a language. And I think I've learned the language enough. And I've also learned in myself that I'm now pretty, pretty fearless and saying, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you break that down? (laughs) Even to people who like technically work for me, if they send me something in an email, I'm like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. And they're like, oh, it's an acronym for this. I'm like, oh, got it. Right. Right. Like all good. Yeah. Wow. Shadowing someone. I'm just the power of that. That's probably a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, you know, all in one. Like what an experience that must have been. In hindsight, I can't believe I had the foresight to ask for that. I was yes. going to ask you about that. I was like, what even made you think? Because again, once you describe that, I think that's going to be priceless. But I would never even have thought to ask for that. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, I, <laughs> some of my best friends that are still my best friends today, we were, I, I say we grew up together. But we were we were our baby 20s in New York City together. And we would coach each other all the time. Like if you are meeting with your boss on a review, like, 
what, what is a percentage we should be asking for in a raise? And like, you know, and they, and we would just like read like every glamour magazine tip on like how to be a successful businesswoman, Right. And they were like, well, Allison, if you're going to take this, like you need to go in with a bargaining chip, like you got to ask for something. And I was like, you're right. Right. <laughs> I think it was because my friends said I had to ask for something. And I was like, I want to shadow you. <laughs> so like, I love it. There's so many questions. Cause the other thing I thought about is the fact that we actually jumped a step. So we talked about how Bren came to be, but we actually never talked about your journey in terms of like, how did Bren become, how did it get to our homes here? Like what, what you found the grower, you gave your, all your life savings over. What were the steps to where we are now? I know it was a long journey, but for someone who's yeah. like, what did she even have to do? What was yeah. that journey like? <laughs> I've I've met a lot of people in this industry and they're like, you know, currently working for a distributor and they're like, one day I really hope to have my own product. And I think, my God, you're smart. I hadn't worked. I didn't even tend to bar when I got into this industry. You know so much more than I ever did. But I I went to, um, there was a restaurant in New York. I hope they're still open. I haven't checked to see if they survived COVID, but um, called Joseph Leonard and I knew the owner and I knew all the bartender. We just, I was there every Friday and I walk in and I was like, Hey guys, how does a bottle get behind the bar? And they're like, we place it there. And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I know that. <laughs> obviously you put it on the shelf. Um, but like, how does it get there? And they're like, Oh, we order it. And I was like, okay, from whom? And they're like, and they said the name of a company. I was like, okay, but what, like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's a distributor. And I was like, a distributor, you know, taking <laughs> find a distributor. And, and I, I totally cold called some distributors. Uh, I, a friend of mine, like her childhood best friend had married a man who like owns one of the biggest distributors in New York. And he was like grooming his son to take over. And, and she was like, oh, the son will totally meet you. And I was like, okay. And we like both live in the West Village. And I was like, hey, Al. Alex, like, can you sit with me at the bar and like, just tell me about distribution, right? And I would cold call distributors and they were all like, wait, we don't understand. You want to meet with us, but you to sell us? And I was like, no, no, I will have something to sell you like maybe in a few years, but like, I just want to, I just want to learn about the business. And they were all like, I'm sorry, I think we're too busy for that. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> But some people said yes to me and like, you know, inevitably, right? That if you're a nice person, at least right. I believe a bit of human, you meet with someone and they're like, let me also connect you with this other person, right? And then they connect you and they connect you. You start to put the pieces together. Um, yeah, so, so I, I learned that um, bars buy their products from distributors, bars and stores and restaurants. They all buy their product from distributors and distributors buy their products from importers or distilleries or wineries if, if it's made in the U.S., right? So I was like, okay, got it. Find distributor, find an importer. <laughs> like, next. <laughs> it was just a giant checklist. Um, but when I was finally ready and I had, like, I was so proud, right? Because here's Bren. Here it's, to me, it's, it's an international single malt. It's a world whiskey, mm -hmm. right? So I brought every distributor, once I had it, when I had like a date at which it was going to come into this country and it, this was 2012 now. And I was like, you know, I put this whole, I, I had no idea how to write a business plan, but I was like, Google, write a business plan. I was like, oh, that looks good. <laughs> write a business plan. And then I was like, God, I never used that. That was really irrelevant. But <laughs> Like write a like, like launch proposal. Okay, fine. So I like, I like created this go to market strategy of like, 
how to successfully launch a French whiskey brand in New York City, right? And it was like a 32-page presentation. I was very proud of it. I had it in a folder and I had my business card tucked in the, in the thing that it was like Vista print, you know. Um, and I brought this little baggie that had a sample of Bren, a sample of Balvenie Double Wood, because I wanted to, someone to taste the difference between my double barrel aged whiskey and the standard of a whiskey of a single malt that's aged from Scotland, that's aged in bourbon and sherry, right? So to compare, and a sample of Yamazaki 12, which is a Japanese single malt. Mm-hmm. At the time was like $60 a bottle. Now it's like $250 a bottle. So all those little should have said yes to my meeting because they would have gotten a very good little bottle of a very expensive whiskey. (laughs) Those who met with me all like took the whiskey and they were like, this is a great presentation. Can we take this and we'll call you? And I was like, yes, I can't wait for your call. They never call. Silent, right? I will say one of the guys then went off and he started working for an importer that so it was like importing French spirits and they might've had a French whiskey. And I, oh yeah, they definitely had a French whiskey. And I was like, that stole my idea. <laughs> He'll never be like me because he's missing the me factor. Right. Love it. That's key. Us being ourselves. That's our best superpower. Yeah. You can take my business plan. You can take my marketing plan. You can take it all. You're not going to, it's never going to be the same way I would do it. Cause you don't have me. You don't have me. So they never called. <laughs> so I was like, well, I've got my life savings sitting in a container in a 20 foot shipping container coming across the Atlantic. I have got to sell this thing. So I go onto the TTB website, which is the, the government agency that, mo- that regulates the federal agency that regulates um, tax on tobacco, alcohol, and firearms. And I was like, how to be an importer you know, <laughs> into the TTB search bar. <laughs> this this browser is not supported on Google Chrome. What kind of archaic system is this? <laughs> Whatever, figured it out. Right. And got myself certified as an importer and then um, kind of loopholed a, a, a distribution permit through like eight different states because the, the permit alone in New York at that time was 50,000 upfront. It was like a $20,000 permit with a $30,000 um, oh, I can't remember the name of the, of the word they gave it. I don't know. Some like, some like giant chunk of money that they just like got Is at the insurance or something. Oh, it was like a grant or something. I mean, it's just like some like ridiculous. And you're like, what am I, whose grant is this? Like, it was just so crazy. And I was like, I don't have $50,000. And I didn't ever take a loan for Bren. Like I really, I never took money. I never took investment until about five years after, after, you know, being on the market. Um, so I just, I just like loopholed it. I found like, I, I like got like eight different state permits to like get this like provisional distribution permit in New York. Cause I was like, oh, that one's $300 for three year, for a three year permit versus a $50,000 upfront permit. So I'll take the 300 for three, Alex, and <laughs> stay on top of all of, all of the legalities and keep those other permits current. So yeah, but that's how. And then I just jumped on a bike and started knocking on doors and telling people, hey, I've, I've got this thing. Um, it didn't occur to me because I wore all of the hats that people kept saying, so, so you're the importer. And I'd say, yeah. And they go, okay, but who's making it? I said, well, I am. And they go, what? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm making it. And they're like, 
but like, but you're the importer. I said, yeah, 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 I know. And, and then I, I would see um, a lot of men, they would just pick up the bottle. It's not the bottle we all have now, but it was a different, it was the original packaging and, and they'd read on the back. And I say, do you have any questions about the whiskey? And, they, and they'd, they'd stop me, right? They put their finger up, like almost like don't talk, right? And they go, that's fine. I'm reading. And I say, well, I wrote all of the back label copy. How <laughs> <laughs> many questions? Ask me. Yep. And then they look at me with like, as if I had eight different heads. And I was like, yeah. They're like, we don't understand. I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Do you want to taste it? Like, it's not for me, for you to get your comprehension level up. I don't know what to tell you. I've told you all the truths here. Do you want to just taste the whiskey? Um, I eventually started putting my name on the back and then, the, and then they would look at it and they go, Allison, are, did you say your name was Allison? Yes, me. <laughs> But I literally put it on there just right. so many men would read this as if this was more important than the person they had sitting in front of them. Unbelievable. <laughs> I love how you, you said this before. I think you said, was it, you had to make three, I think I was watching a live with you and I think it was Trace, Tracy. Right. Um, she, that was amazing. That was like an amazing live. Um, you guys were talking about race and gender, but um, you were saying that you've had to, say the same thing three, three times, times. <laughs> for it to like register. Hmm? How was that? I mean, in a, a industry that's, you know, dominated by, you know, like one gender and, you know, here. So it, it must've been frustrating, you know, to the point where they're like, oh, wait, you, you are this person in the back of the box. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, Allison said, you're like, yes, that was yeah, me. That's, that, that's me. <laughs> So I have to say, I was, um, I didn't realize I was different until the world told me I was different. I was just going to say that because it's not like as women, we're like, oh, women can't do any, like we can do anything. So right. that, is not, <laughs> that is not new to us. You're, just like, you're like, you're looking at me like I'm different, but I don't feel different because I'm me. I'm a capable human. End of story. Right. They're like, oh, you're, you're a white woman in this room. And I'm like, uh-huh. I, I don't remember coming out of the birthing canal saying I'd like white skin and two boobs and a vagina, please. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't get to pick your penis. I'm sorry. It's just how it happened. That's just what happened. Anyhow, can we move past this? Um, no, but, but once I realized that it, it was, um, I, tr I really, I really got present for myself that people's shock for the most part, there's a, always an asshole here and there. And, and I, I don't interact with assholes. So I've literally told people, you're not allowed to have a taste of my whiskey <laughs> at a whiskey show. If you, if you know, your, your asshole radar goes up and, and that has always thrown people. Cause they're like, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to complain. And I'm like, go right ahead. I own this. You can't fire me, but I can tell you, you're not allowed to taste my whiskey. So I never invite asshole. You're literally not allowed in my room, in my space. You are not allowed at my table. So, um, so I have a zero asshole policy on Bren. Um, my team may have a different policy, but that's my personal policy and that's fine. Um, so it's, it's people overhear that, right? When I would do these big whiskey shows and there would be 200 other brands in the room and 2000 people and you hear this and I'm, sh I'm five foot five. I never feel short, but again, when you kind of look at like, at least in the early kind of, or the, the mid, you know, tens, 2010s era, there was a lot of like bigger, taller, buffer white guys with bellies and beards representing all these brands. So I, I, I was visually different. 
Um, and my voice is different than a male's voice, right? So you'd kind of hear this woman's voice pipe up like, no, thanks. You can't have a sip of my whiskey. And the people are like, what? But it was kind of amazing because you, because, because, because I was so vocal and so unshy about having a zero asshole policy that it attracted incredible people to my table. And those people would convert and they would bring six, 20, 30 people over the course of a four hour event back to my table, right? So I would, it would create a vacuum. I was always the empty table at the start of a show and I was the most packed by the end. And, 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 and in that point of difference, I had to realize they weren't shocked because it was nothing personal, right? It was just, this was a new opportunity for them because our industry had really only ever served up pretty white girls as promo models. Right. Mm. That was their experience with a pretty young white girl, right? And I needed to get very clear that it wasn't personal. It was just their experience thus far. So I, repeating myself three times, was not an experience of exhaustion for me. It was an experience to teach them that there is a new possibility. And that was all it ever was for me, unless there was an asshole present. But honestly, after a while, the industry took care of them for me because people knew my policy and people would take other people away from my table. It was amazing. I had men walk around from their table and remove someone in front of me. So I really never had to wow. engage in a, in, a, in a scary way. I could just stand my ground. And I mean, this industry, the community, the consumers, like the guys who got, and women, you know, eventually got to know me. They all stand up for me out there in the world. It's, it's the most beautiful thing. So I just try and remember that when we make a physical product, right, for someone to utilize, to engage with, in our case, consume, like they put it into their body, that is a massive responsibility and it is a massive honor, right? I'm not blind to the fact that there are a million other choices for someone to grab. And on a Friday night, when they come home from work and they want to sit with their partner or they sit with their puppy or whatever they're sitting with or celebrating with, if they choose mine, that is a massive, massive honor. So I need to keep showing up in the world, gracious, standing my ground with respect and an opportunity to show the world that a new wave can be here. I love all That's of that. That's beautiful. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much. This is all really great stuff. And it's funny when I think about you and Sabine and I were brainstorming earlier, like which direction do we want to go with? Cause there's so many things, so there's many there's innovation and the businesswoman. there's the mindset. Cause I want to talk to you about your mindset. I know everything about your mindset has, you know, filtered into everything you've talked about, but you just have one of those, like just your way of being is so joyful and so inspiring. And it comes through across the mile. Believe me, you've been one of my lifelines during this COVID time, just from Instagram. Um, so there's mindset. I think about even your style. So you have your dance background and, but you're like classic chic, you look fabulous, but I also don't feel like you spend all of your time getting dressed either. So there, we, there are so many things we want to talk to you about, which would you want to speak to next and just, just go Ooh. for it. Okay. Let's, we'll, we can, we can rapid fire the style. Cause I've, I've okay. given the thought, and again, I'm going to relate to that, like that fear of not fitting in. Um, I remember once I had this, this remarkable boyfriend and he took me down Rodeo drive in LA and I in like in a, in a, in a Mustang convertible. And I just started crying because I didn't feel like I could fit in right. That I, 
visual. I didn't have the clothes. I didn't have the body. I didn't have the hair. Like I just looked at all these people and thought, I don't look like them. So I don't fit in. And, and I remember how horrible that felt. And I just thought, my God, if we, if we can get our heads around the miracle that we are alive and then realize that no one, no one makes it out of life alive, but it's just up to us to create and enjoy the middle as best we can. I don't want to spend minutes of my life sad that I don't fit in because of my shirt. Mm. It's so sad to me. And I know of so many women who are getting Botox at very young ages and like doing all of this morphing, right? To fit into some ideal that we have all collectively constructed, but yet everyone's ideal is slightly different. And we all think we're working towards the same thing. And also I hate sameness. So that was a journey for me. Um, and, and then I, I settled into my, you know, first I had to figure out what kind of clothes am I most comfortable with? And then, um, and then I realized I never, I I'm, I'm not a trendy person. Um, so I, I don't like to be in clothing that in a few years will look out of date. So I realized I prefer classics. Um, and then it took me a long time to realize that I didn't want to spend my money and my time shopping for, many items and less expensive items that are going to deteriorate. Um, so it, it took me some time to realize that I want to invest in the classics that are very well made. Um, and then I had to tell myself, I have to have zero shame if I show up in the same outfit every time. And once I gave myself that grace, because look at the men, right? Thank you. I can't sure. tell one suit from the next. Like you could literally be in the same suit every day. And we can't tell. Even casual wear, like polo shirt, t-shirt. And I'm blanking on his name. I'm a, my boyfriend is going to be so mad at me right now. The man who started Apple, uh, Steve. Uh, oh, Steve, Steve Jobs. Jobs. Steve Jobs, right? Uh-huh. Turtleneck every day. And Zuckerberg, same thing. Uniform, right? Mark Jacobs, right? A designer, same outfit every yep. day. And that is so smart. And then I meet my boyfriend, and he has four t-shirts and he has stacks of these same four t-shirts and he has three pairs of pants and he'll same three every year. And he goes, I have two decisions in the morning, which of the four t-shirts and which of the three pants. And he goes, that's all the time of my life that I ever want to spend on clothing. Wow. Love it. Isn't that beautiful? That I have so beautiful. We stress, we stress. Like I have spent like it, yeah, even even choosing what blouse to wear today is like, wait, wait, I want to wear something with color. Like, color. Wait, what do I wear? But yeah, we, we stress so much. And, and we waste so much valuable time, time that we could yes. use for other things or creativity we could use for other things. Like just get dressed, go and just do other things. Women, all of us together spent the time we thought about our outfits and our looks unifying together. We would have a matriarchal society. We would absolutely. Right? <laughs> we could. Very true. We could. I mean, just think about like the time that I have wasted spending thinking about an outfit. If I just volunteered that time to read to children at a library, like what a difference I what could a have difference made. Difference that would have made, yeah. So, so that that's that's my thought on outfits. Um, and and everyone's different, and and that's what that's what's beautiful, right? It's it's everyone's entitled to the kind of their own way of of going. Maybe you're just a black mock turtleneck person. I happen to be a white button down person or a blue stripe button down. Great. And then in in my house, I wear anything that doesn't show dog fur because I'm always going to hold my dog. And that's it. That's that's my life, right? Two 
colors of button downs and I have multiples of the exact same shirt. Um, one pair of jeans that I really love and wear to death. And then a bunch of sweatpants that you can't see my dog hair on. Great. Love it. <laughs> and you look fabulous doing it. Yes. And, then you're, and you're running things while you're doing it. So it's all, <laughs> it's all fantastic. <laughs> um, okay. So you also have a whole public speaking career. Can you speak a little bit to that? How do we connect with that? Yeah. How does that all work? And how did you go into that? It's, it's, um, it's funny. I whiskey takes so many years. Like it takes, it takes 11 years for me to make a 10 year old whiskey. So I go, Oh, my public speaking thing is new. And then I go, wait a minute, I've been doing this for over three years, like as a formal thing, but three years feels very new to me at this point in my life. Yeah. So it's, it's really fun. I'm working on building my website. That is one of my projects. And so I will have a, like a formal public speaking website soon. Um, but it's, it's just really, it's been a, it's been a beautiful and exciting journey. I would love to speak for anyone anywhere. They can just connect with me through Instagram or LinkedIn or anything. Um, I have a, a couple of areas and industries that, that I am a bit more practiced in. Um, and I just, I, I really, I really enjoy it. I think it taps into that, that experience. One of the experiences that I loved as a ballerina of being on stage and working with the audience to transform and create an experience together. Um, and that's what public speaking provides for me is like an opportunity to connect with an audience and create and transform a room together. Um, and also I think when we have had certain successes and with successes come an extensive list, I'm sure of failures, I think it's very, we, we are living in an, in a, as a species that learn from others. Right. So how do we keep sharing these things and, and letting others learn from my mistakes and my wins? Right. Here's how I negotiated this. Here is how I thought about that. Maybe someone can take that and go, holy moly, that helps me unlock this thing that I'm stuck on. Or let me try that approach. I've constantly been getting a no or a roadblock there. So I think there's so much value. And, and when you come into industries from a non-traditional background, it allows you, I think, to see things outside of a box. And I do think there's a lot of power, especially for you two who have your own businesses and are in these creative spaces and having come from not a business background, it allows us to then not take a traditional business school approach to things. So I think people need to hear that message. And I, I love how you incorporate because oftentimes we just hear success stories, which is great, but then it's kind of like... Instagram and social media. We only see the, we only see the after. We never see the before. We never see the during, you know? So then everything just looks like, oh, polished, easy. This is life every day. And I love that so much of your story, even our conversation today, like you talked about the tenacity that it took, the grit, you know, this was not an overnight success. Like you showed up every day. Clearly you have a passion for it. I love that you have a passion for not only whiskey, what you're selling, but like how you show up as a leader. I'm, I'm thinking also about the creatives because Lisa and I are both creatives. And what piece of advice would you give to um, someone who is questioning, you know, they're passionate about something, they are thinking about something, but they don't know the how to's, they don't know what's the next step. I mean, just your story about how your savings of 86,000, you took 82 of it. 
and just wired it over <laughs> to the distillery like this is gonna work you know like you were all in <laughs> but what piece of advice as we wrap things up would you give to the to the creative that's unsure of like the next step or the how-to or I think first and foremost get cozy in uncertainty mm-hmm. hard for us to get vulnerable we are human beings we like to know we like certainty get cozy and almost like surrender to uncertainty as a, as a feeling, um, not just an intellectual concept and build your community. And I, I make very clear distinctions about, I've since gotten way more better, way, not way more better, but way more thorough about choosing my friendships, right? I kind of said in the beginning, like I was really thoughtful about how I chose businesses. And it took me a while to learn that that it's beneficial to me to be just as thorough in choosing romantic and friendships, um, partnerships in those ways. And in the beginning, I got very clear that I needed a friend group outside of this industry. And I also needed a friend group inside the industry and at a similar level of, of um, business growth as I was. Because I've had a lot of people say like, oh, I just want to learn from you. And I'm thinking I'm eight years ahead of you. You can learn from me. But what I'm learning today is what fascinates me today. And what fascinates me today and what I'm learning today is not what you need to learn today. You need to learn what I learned eight years ago. So I banded together with Jackie Summers, who's relaunching his Sorel with Chip Tate from Balcones, with... Um, gosh, the guys over at Kings County and John Little at Smooth Ambler. And like, there was a bunch of us that were all kind of starting at the same time. Um, and, and we would meet each other out. We would sit at bars, we would share, we would network together. We would, we would share resources and contacts. And like, you know, if you're sourcing glass, guess what? I'm not sourcing glass anymore. I got that ironed out. Right. So, but, but to do that with people that were at that same stage, the information is fresh, the curiosity, is fresh. So, so learn that. But then also with my friends um, outside of the industry, I remember saying to them, Hey, I'm getting ready to launch my second SKU or open up this new market. Or like, I would tell them kind of the bigger things that I was embarking on. And they all know I'm a Taurus, right? I'm a, I put my blinders on, I'm a bull, I will dig in and I will not come up for air. But I asked them and they all took the invitation to pull Allison out of her hole. Right. Mm-hmm. They show up at my door. Hey, Allison, I'm outside. I have flowers for you. If you can take a walk, we would love that. And I was like, oh, and all my friends made it easy for me to see them and to connect. And they would shake me out of my bullish business only thoughts. And so they would help me remember to engage with life outside of work. So that that community and that community has changed. There's been some people that have stayed, but, you know, people move in and out and whatever. Right. Um, but having that really important and vital network outside of my industry is also, I think, helped me um, know what those next steps are. Because really, the next steps, everyone faces that in life, right? And so it helps to have these other perspectives. So that's what I would say. Make sure you're, you're really in good communication. You're, you're choosing really well beautiful souls around you, both in your industry and outside and, and communicate, right? Build community, lean on them and, and, and offer to them as well. I love that. And I think your life is such a testament to the fact that you surround yourself with the right people for you at 
each time. Final thing on mindset. You've talked a lot about it. I love the way you think from not making people wrong to saying no to just your curiosity and the the audacity you have to just follow, to, to read a magazine and follow the input from your friends and ask for something, um, to just your joy, to your the, your belief that you can do anything you want to do. Like you just need to find the information and go for it. How do you, I mean, what would your input be to other people? Or what do you want to leave people with who are struggling with that? I have dreams, I get easily discouraged. Like what is your, what is that thing? Or what are those things that keep you going and that you would share to someone else about being able to keep picking themselves up no matter what, or however it is you think about that. So not try to put words in your mouth. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, to me, it's, it's, um, I'm, I am, I am intensely intimate with the fragility of life, right? I have had many and some very traumatic, very real moments of realizing just how close we live to death all the time. Um, and so I think, Knowing that, like, I don't fear death. Um, I just know that we have no clue when it's coming, right? We are not in control unless, God forbid, you take your own life. But otherwise, you are not in control. And so it is really a choice each day to be like, well, I got today. I got today on this planet. How do I want to show up? Right. And it's not to say that every day I am happy, joyful, optimistic. It is also recognizing that a day like yesterday, I walked around and I was like, oh my God, I think I'm actually depressed today. And that I have to let myself have those days too. Um, and I, I am a naturally optimistic person. So I'm, I'm thankful that I don't have a, a lot of those days. But, um, but I, I, think it's really, I think it's really embracing just how, how uncertain we are. Um, and, and I'm a, I'm, I take calculated risks, right? Like I, I don't know if I could have wired all of that money today, you know, but also I like, I don't have children, right? So I don't think I would have risked certain things if I had different responsibilities, right? If I needed that money to take care of an aging parent, I don't know that I would have put it behind my dream. Um, but, but at that time in my life, I was like, it's a lot of money. It's not that much money. And I've been poor before. I can make more money, right? So I kind of detached myself from the fear of money and looked at it as an opportunity to step into the fullness of who I am, right? Because really, who you are is so different than who the person is next to you. And that is your best superpower. And if you are trying to be anyone else, this world is not going to be that exciting for you. It's really not. And we waste so much time trying to be like other people when you're like, I, we're an original, like every single one of us would we do the same project so differently. Yeah. It makes me less concerned about competition. Like I don't get fearful when other people are like, oh, I'm doing this thing. I'm like, oh, it sucks that you copied me, but good luck. Okay. <laughs> you're not me. So yeah. Really hard road, but like, I'll be curious to see how you do. It turns out. Yeah. My way is not 100% perfect. Are you kidding? Like people have way bigger companies than mine. So I've clearly not seen all the opportunities, but good luck. I'm here for you. Yeah. <laughs> so. That is so wonderful. We could easily keep you here all day. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for being you and being authentically, unapologetically yourself and all of the joy that you bring into the world. Thank you for creating this Bren masterpiece that got people like me into whiskey. So it's funny because my dad, 
who is currently around saw me saw my bottle and he was like oh we're drinking whiskey he's like you can't handle whiskey I'm like you don't even know I have a friend who makes whiskey okay like <laughs> but anyway but just thanks for opening this world to so many people who would not ordinarily be interested or be curious and thanks for just your example that we can use in any industry like I think anyone who's listening to this there's so many things you've said that they can replicate whether they're making whiskey or not and I'm just looking forward to the future and what what we all we get to see coming out of you and Bren and whatever else you put your hands to. So we will tell people where to buy. Where can people find Bren? Oh, good question. So Bren is spelled B-R-E-N-N-E and we spell our whiskey without an E. So just W-H-I-S-K-Y. So you can either just go to BrenWhiskey.com or buybren.com, B-U-Y-B-R-E-N-N-E.com. And there is either a store locator there, or you can buy it from our website, or if you live in a different country, um, on brenwhiskey.com, you can see our list of importers. So, and otherwise email the website or DM us at Instagram. And they can follow you. You're at, at Allison Park on Instagram. Yep. Either place you can find the information you need. And they're actually... For those of us in the U.S., there are two kinds because they can have they can get your limited version, which we didn't talk about. Can you just the ten year explain what that is? Yeah, it's really beautiful. I've only bottled it four times, and we do under or around three hundred cases each time. So really limited. It's higher in proof. It's older. It's drier, spicier, more chocolate, more dried fruits and toasted nuts versus vanilla and and. Um, it's just, it's, it's exquisite and it's exciting. I say estate cast, which is what we all talk about when we talk about Bren. I say that's my full side whiskey and that is my fireside whiskey. <laughs> I have actually not tried that one yet. So that is still available, but it's only to people in the U.S. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Awesome. Well, people will follow you on all the things and go and buy Bren if you have not. Thank you for your time. You are fantastic. Thanks for your joy. Thanks for all that you're doing. And thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thank you. I'm so, I'm so grateful. This was really fun. Sabine, who would you like to take out this episode? So I would love to take out Sally Ann Robinson for coffee. Okay. I hope that we can have her on the podcast soon. She is a storyteller, chef, author, sixth-generation Gullah native. So this past summer, we took our um, family road trip to South Carolina and visited the Fusky Island. And I was so fascinated with the rich Gullah history. Not only was she telling a story because she has a tour company, not only was she telling us the history, she was telling us her family history. Um, So hearing her share those stories and the Gullah traditions and the ways, it really, for me, made my the entire trip for me. So I would love to take her out for coffee and continue our conversation about the many Gullah homes on the island that are still standing from the 1800s. Um, And so I would love to continue the conversation of restoring them and giving them new life. Very cool. And because, you know, I love all things interiors and architectures. That's my thing. So I believe she's a coffee drinker. So I would take her out at her, you know, the coffee shop of her choice. I know that she loves small, small businesses. So 
um, I guess a mom pop coffee shop uh, would be ideal. So Sally Ann, I would travel to South Carolina or Georgia to take you out for coffee and continue our conversations. So what about you? Very cool. So I would take out my friend Liz, aka Mrs. O, who is on Instagram as Everyday Alon. You've got to follow her page. I don't know if I've showed it to, shown it to you in the past, but she is one of those people who just, in my opinion, does everything well. She's a VP. She's a mom. She's a wife. She's really into home decor. She's into food, cocktails, fashion, makeup. Like she's into all of the things and seems to do them all really well. But I particularly love this page of hers that she created on Instagram fairly recently. I don't remember exactly when, but it's where she shares her favorite things. And I love this page because it's kind of her way of inspiring all of us to, to live our lives with Elan, you know, with style, flair, and vigor. And, um, you know, so she has recipes, she has cocktails, she has flowers, she has fashion on this page. And it just, it's one of my happy places on Instagram at the moment where I can go and get inspired to infuse luxury into everyday life. And, you know, as someone who's working on growing, growing and savoring and enjoying life, her page is a place that keeps me inspired and that's just fun. So I think oh, I would take Liz like out. someone my, I would like. Yeah, I think you would. Yeah. So I would take Liz out. We may end up doing cocktails though, instead of coffee or tea, but yeah. So that's <laughs> who I would take out for sure. Anyway, well, that concludes our episode. Thank you so much for listening. You know what to do if you enjoyed this episode. Tell a friend or two or five. Subscribe, of course. Write a review. Rate us five stars and all of that good stuff. Thank you for listening. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Sabine and Lisa. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.